Gardening tips and tricks with Adam Myros. Uh, the trick is concrete. Concrete's the answer. Build a basketball court. Fuck plants, oh. fuck gardens, lawns. It's all terrible. Uh, and then and then you got neighbors who like want to talk to you about it. And then I don't want to talk to them about it. It's it's horrible. You know, you know what my neighbor said to me yesterday? I was trying to go to the store to spend an inordinate amount of money on fucking mulch because you just, you have to, you have to do these things. And she like talked to me for like 15, 20 minutes about how like the, the weeds on my lawn are making weeds happen on her lawn or something, which is fucking horse shit. Like what weeds just occur and that they're just the thing that happens in, in a yard. It's, I, I have no control over this. That's tricky. And then, yeah. And then, and then her solution was, well, you should really just build a, a retaining wall. It's like, yeah, I'm going to, like, I'm going to scrape together like a King's ransom, like 10 G's to fucking build a five foot wall and fill it with dirt because you're mad at a dandelion. I was going to suggest oh, this. Like, I mean, nature is nature. You just leave it to itself. It'll take care of yeah. itself. That's how nature works. And her, her lawn, she just happens to own a separate piece of nature. It's not your responsibility what happens on it. If she doesn't want weeds on it or what she considers weeds, you just better start weeding. Yeah. Yeah, I think I, I would say, like, yeah, maybe I should build, like, a 20-foot retaining wall <laughs> so that I never have to see your fucking face again. Yeah, that, that would be ideal. How about a large, a large fence? That would be fucking awesome. <laughs> I just, I, I don't, if you're listening to this, don't ever own a house or have neighbors or a yard or anything. Just, I don't know. I mean, know. if you do, here's a hot tip. Don't fucking talk to your neighbors about their weeds. Uh, no, Christ. I don't. Uh, this, Mind this, your own fucking life. This woman, she's a little fucking gremlin and I hate her. Uh, another time I was, I was like busting my ass shoveling snow because uh, we like have a snowblower, but it had two flat tires, which is fucking stupid. And so I couldn't use it. So I was shoveling and she had her snowblower and she's out, you know, doing her thing. And then she was all done. Cause it takes like two seconds when you got a machine that does it for you. And she's like, yeah, Hey, Hey, Hey. Like she was like waving at me and yelling at me. And I had my, my headphones on. So I took them off and I was like, yeah, what's up? And she goes, you know, that looks like a lot of hard work. You should really get a snowblower. And then she just walked into her house. <laughs> the fuck I, I, who the fuck does boy. that yeah oh. you know what even even in the the country where where my my mother lives you know where generally you'll have sort of confrontational antisocial neighbors guess what they, they they have their fucking machine out they're gonna roll over to your house and just do it because that, that's, that's right. the neighborly thing to do that's the neighborly thing to do they see you struggling and they have a snowblower that they'd say well you know I, i'll handle that once you once you go sit down there you could you could have a heart attack man or you could at the very least say, you want to borrow our snowblower yeah. for, for a few minutes? I would have gassed that bitch up for her. I would have I treated it real nice. But no, this is, this is my lot in life. I get to be next to Lois the deranged gremlin for God knows how long. So that's great. 
Uh, I, I'm sure everyone is wondering where is where's this conversation going? It's going nowhere. I'm just exhausted. And I, I think if you're listening right now, maybe you should kill your neighbors. Think about it. You know, is that a good idea for you? It could be. Maybe not. And that that happens in the movies we're discussing. So yes, and it, it among does. many things that happen, neighbors do yeah. get murdered. They maybe don't neighbors actually get, do murdered. get murdered. Who knows? Or maybe not. No, it's hard to tell. Uh, we're actually talking about Takeshi Kitano, uh, not just... Wait, Steve, I, I'm pretty sure this is the second straight episode where you fail to introduce well, I mean, I'm already on it, but it is true, Steve. You never... You, you just you introduce Adam, and then you start bitching about law. <laughs> I just started rambling on. I'm sorry. Jack, let me ask you, how are you doing this evening? You know what? I'm fine, Steve, because like you, I'm exhausted, except I've done nothing. I just no. You ate, you ate some hot dogs, didn't you? I ate some hot dogs, and then I've been rewatching. Uh, got a uh, full season of Daria with all the original music put back in, which is wonderful. Ooh. Really improves the experience to have like all the like seven or eight prime needle drops per episode that would cost a bajillion dollars to to pay for the rights mm -hmm. uh, subsequently, which is why a fan had to do it. And I've just been watching that all day, and I just fell asleep on the sofa, and I just by chance woke up two minutes before we had to start recording. So everything's working Beautiful. really well. That's good. That's what we do around here. You're like, yep. oh, I want to get some rest. Like I need to rest work. my body. Nope. Wake up podcast time, bitch. Here That's we are. It. Yeah, just you think you could just sit around like a like a king, just eating hot dogs and watching Daria all day? No thanks, buddy. I mean, I mean, no I think the real you. the real test will be for the putovers. Am I just gonna put over Daria? It's possible. Mm -hmm. I've watched a lot possible. of it this week. Or hot dogs. You could also put over hot dogs. Hot dogs, dogs right? were good. They were pretty good. Love yeah, a tubed meat. Mm hmm. Mm -hmm. Can't Jack, beat it. I, I am. I am so sorry that I skipped over you. Um, I just. Uh, there's nothing I love better than ignoring you at the That's end of okay. the day. That's okay. This, this is a safe space. I'm not like your neighbor. I don't care about this kind of stuff. I can just go <laughs> sleep. Be fine. You're right. Well, we're talking about Takeshi Kitano. And not just, just gardening and neighbors and like old white guys shit. Um, yeah, this, <laughs> this is funny because we decided, okay, we're going to do a Kitano series. Sort of like we've done in the past. We did like Johnny Toe. Uh, Choi Hawk, we, we've done it with, with different film. Whoopi Goldberg, of course, the Whoopathon, everyone's favorite. The big one. Uh, the big one, as we like to call it. Um, so we're doing Takeshi Kitano. How do we approach this? Do we start with his most critically acclaimed films? Do we start with, uh, you know, his key works from the 1990s that really established him as this, uh, this great auteur? Do we, uh, you know, maybe maybe we work backwards chronologically or, you know, just chronologically in general, who knows what would be the best way? And instead we said, what would be the worst way to start this? Series? <laughs> As this is, is all the Jack. optimism. This is all Jack. Way. <laughs> this this Jack, is, baby. It's all me because I haven't watched these three movies for 20 years, despite being a Takeshi Kitano fan. I was like, you know, what will make me watch him. And it's not like I don't even want to. I just, I've just never got around to it. And I was like, well, you know what mm -hmm. our podcast should be? It should be these three movies, which yes, Happened to be a terrible intro point for Takeshi Kitano <laughs> yeah. to work. Now, Oops. my my Kitano exposure prior to this have not gone very deep into this man's uh, filmography or or life or any of the other million things he's done. I actually I had to buy a fucking book just to get a better grasp on what I was watching <laughs> this week. Are you kidding me? 
Yeah, this this is right. I mean, you see, and for me, Katana was very important. I mean, uh, genuinely, I think his his film Hanabi was is is uh uh you know life altering event for me. It was like the movie that made me care about movies in a lot of ways. Like it was the movie that showed mm -hmm. me everything movies could be. It was genuinely incredible, which is really funny because it was the second of his films I'd seen. Uh, the first one was Brother, cause me and my brother rented it because we thought it was a John Woo like action movie and we watched it we were like well <laughs> well it's not that but it's something and from there i was just kind of like kind of fascinated and uh there was a little making of documentary on the on the disc and i was so confused by the movie i was like what the what is this movie it's like a yakuza movie but like kind of sleepy uh like uh, and incredibly violent but no one walks anywhere no one moves it's like action sequences involving lots of men standing in still uh, never really seen that before, and it mentioned Hanabi, his his 1997 movie, and I was like, oh, okay, that looks interesting, and I watched it, I tracked that down, and, and it was amazing, and I was like, I, I, I want to see more, and I watched everything of Kitano's, uh, and this would have been in around 2003, 2002, maybe, uh, and I watched everything of Kitano, and Kitano was incredibly well represented in the West, um, Almost all of his work was on DVD in the UK and Ireland. A lot of it was available in the US as well. Somewhat thanks to Quentin Tarantino. I think Sonatine got the, the Quentin Tarantino Rolling Thunder VHS treatment. Um, but he was he was really well represented in the 90s. He was like he was like the, the face of Japanese cinema. Um, it was kind of like wild how incredibly popular he was internationally at this point. Um, and then uh, like the films we're going to get up to, he kind of came up to the late two or the early 2000s and he did Dolls and he did uh, Zatoichi, his own remake, obviously the, the famous blind swordsman masseuse film in 2003, I think. And those were all pretty popular. And then we get to the movies we're actually going to be talking about, 2005, from Takeshi's onwards. And uh, those movies just disappeared. They were never available in the UK. I can never find them on disc anywhere. No one had seen them. I think they maybe played in festivals. And that was just kind of like the end of Takeshi Kitano's appearance after everything else being available until, I think, mm -hmm. pretty much until the Outrage series where he went back to making Yakuza movies. So this is just like this weird dead spot in his career and i think i know why now having seen the movies i, I can <laughs> kind of figure out why the distributors were like oh, i don't know if anyone needs to see these or we're you know i don't know if we're gonna make the money back and i quite enjoyed most of these movies i'm not i'm not dissing them i am just saying mm -hmm. that if you were even if you're used to a scene at the sea or dolls which are much more genteel uh takeshi katana movies uh these movies are very different they're they're very peculiar and they're very peculiar because i mean I, th I think we're probably gonna have to do like if you don't know who takeshi katano is we're gonna have to do a little bit of explaining before we get there because yeah. all of these movies pretty much assume you know who takeshi katano is you're pretty well versed in that because otherwise I, I you know honestly i would love to hear from someone who didn't know and they'd just be like who is this guy is he real because uh, he's in all the <laughs> movies as himself uh so yeah great entry point. Uh, I mostly just uh, i mostly just know his work from the most extreme elimination challenge sure yeah well this is the weird mm. thing about takeshi katano so i mean starting like so i mean your basic intro to takeshi katano i don't know steve do you do you have like dates or anything like names dates career or anything lined up somebody's uh, somebody's you yeah, read 1972 he's 
trying to become a comedian and he runs mm-hmm. an elevator at a strip club slash comedy club. Uh, he, you know, he's, he's mentored by an older comedian, uh, starts his own little uh, mini comedy group called the two beats. Uh, it's him and another guy beat something or other. And the name escapes me. Yeah. And then, yeah, well, the name escaped me because, uh, quickly after that, uh, Katano's star pretty much eclipsed this man completely. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, He's in these movies. The second guy, he, he doesn't even have his own like Wikipedia page. The guy's like. No, and, and what's really wild about that is, is not only did Katana or Takeshi overtake him, but, like, Takeshi went on to become, like, he's maybe the most famous man in Japan. Just, like, straight up, yeah. I'm not even sure there's a Western equivalent to the fame the, Takeshi Katana and I think that's, enjoys. that's super, super important. Yes. Um, because in order to understand who he is, you have to understand that there is, like, there is nothing bigger than what Takeshi Kitano is in Japan. Like he is, he's basically ubiquitous. He was this acclaimed comedian and he was on TV constantly, constantly. I think at one point he was on like eight TV shows at once or something. Uh, even to, like, I know he's, he's retiring or on the verge of retirement, uh, but even a couple of years ago, he was still on like six different TV shows, which is insane. And his whole shtick is like, He's a grumpy old guy, and then they just kind of plop him down. They're like, so, Takeshi Kitano, what do you think? And he's like, blah, 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 blah. And that's it. That's his thing. Uh, but yeah, he had- <laughs> effectively, yeah. I mean, he, and he didn't just, he's not just on TV. He is a painter. He's a poet. He writes articles for newspapers, opinion pieces. Um, musician? Like, <laughs> musician, he, he, or he manages other people. That was when he was coming up as a comedian. I think he also managed other performers mm-hmm. as well. And then what's really funny, just as a side, is obviously he is also a writer, director, and editor of motion pictures, feature films. This, in Japan, was mostly unknown for the time when he was huge in America and Europe. Um, his first commercially successful film in Japan was Dolls in 2002, which is around the time when his star was waning in the rest of the world. That was the first film of his that really made money in Japan, and was followed up by Zatoichi, which also made money. Hanabi, Sonatine, Scene at the Sea, Kids Return, all these movies that many of us Western filmgoers love and cherish, Japanese audience didn't give a shit about them. They didn't watch them. They were just like, he's the funny man. Yeah, he's the funny guy on TV. Mm -hmm. And, And to further contextualize this, not only how big of a star he is in Japan, but... Uh, just sort of how he was viewed through this 90s golden period uh, even prior to that so he had a he had an acting role in Merry Christmas Mr. Lawrence uh, where he plays like I don't know some like disgraced Japanese guard who like beats the shit out of prisoners or something yeah he's like a sadistic and, prison guard who beats up David Bowie a lot yeah yeah so <laughs> When he came on screen for the first time, because this, I mean, it's a serious role in a serious fucking movie. He comes on screen for the first time. And in Japan, he was like horrified because everyone in the audience, as soon as he came on screen, just started laughing at him. So <laughs> like, yep. can you think of a single comedian where if they popped up in a, in a serious, you would just immediately laugh. Like, I don't know. 
when uh, you're watching a turtle sunshine is spotless by you're like oh jim carrey that funny guy i'm gonna slap my leg and have a chuckle <laughs> no like I, it, just the whole theater erupts in laughter <laughs> i mean now thinking of it it's actually really funny that they laugh but um yeah so he is just a star on a level that as a westerner you cannot Possibly yeah, he's, he's essentially up. an industry. Also, also worth noting, just on the back of this, Takeshi has what's known as his Gundam, which is his army. Literally, and, and I believe, I haven't checked it up on this, I forgot to check up on this before, I believe there was actually some political consternation at one point, because Takeshi's army is a group of very, very close followers of Takeshi Kitano. They can be mobilized to do stuff. And I think at one point they like trashed some places on his orders and he got in trouble. Like he, someone pissed him <laughs> off and he just like sent, literally sent his private army to go and fucking cause trouble. Like he, this is the kind of person he, like he is just surrounded by his people. It's this wild thing. And like, it's, so it's not just that like there are a lot of recurring roster actors in his films, but it's not like, no, it's like, there's almost like uh, maybe a cult element kind of uh, kind of in there here mm -hmm. and there like a little bit of Yukio Mishima just sort of like peppered in among the the weird comedy gags he does which is really funny because his his movies are very serious a lot of them are and then his comedy is absolutely like just dick jokes like like he has made one like from his 90s run that we mostly know he has made really only one comedy film in that whole run which is getting any which is literally like a sketch comedy about a guy who just wants to bang a girl in a car. That's the only mm -hmm. plot line to the entire movie is that he just he wants to do car sex as it's repeatedly referred to throughout the whole movie. Respectable. Yeah, and that's that's all he wants. And the whole movie is literally just nonsense occurring because of that. And the same. And then he just like on either side of that movie have like, you know, potent tales of loss and tragedy and, uh, you know, gay yakuza blowing each other's heads off for matters of honor very peculiar but that's that's the man mm -hmm. so that kind of brings us to where we're at with this episode now you know when, when you talk about uh, a, a filmmaker's career and life you, you tend to like you know you, you segment things off you go, oh you know this was his you know, the early part of his career his early movies were like this maybe and then he had this kind of like golden period where he did this, that, and the other thing. And then, you know, we always talk about like the late style of, of certain filmmakers when they're kind of in their twilight of filmmaking. Uh, one thing I wish people would talk more about is, I mean, the exact era that we're looking at right now, which I like to call the midlife crisis era of a director. Yeah, there's a strong fuck you era going on here, I think. Um, mm hmm. Yeah, which is strange, because I think Kitano, he won, uh, Hanabi won Silver Lion at Venice. Uh, I think it's the Silver mm -hmm. Lion or Silver Bear. I don't remember what animal they have there right now. Uh, mm -hmm. But, you know, then that was like, he was very much on the top of the, the world at that point, except not in Japan. They didn't watch it. They didn't care. Um, and then he, <laughs> he just finally, by the early 2000s, he had cracked movies they actually wanted to watch with, with Dolls and Zatoichi, which are both uh, pretty good movies. Um, particularly mm -hmm. Zatoichi, I think, is a lot of fun. Very, you know, kind of commercial, but still a bit odd. Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah, and I think that, you're right, I think this this triggered in him a crisis. I think this trilogy of films, he I think he himself is referred to it as like a, like a destructive period, like a destructive trilogy of films. Like he was actively trying to 
destroy his career or at least pick it apart to understand it. Um, but yeah, yeah. I, I think if you could sum up these three films, these are the films of Takeshi Kitano concerned that he's out of ideas um, or mm-hmm. he's, he's passed it as a filmmaker. And um, yeah, and that's what these, so he had made three movies that we're going to talk about, Takeshi's Glory to the Filmmaker and Accolades and the Tortoise. And all three of them are basic examinations of can Takeshi Kitano still make a movie? <laughs> that was the most Irish pronunciation of Achilles and the Tortoise I've ever fucking heard in my life. Well, guess where I'm Achilles and the guess Tortoise. Guess where I'm from, Adam. <laughs> Who knew? I didn't. I didn't know that. Yeah, no, it's not like Lord Steve ever me. brings it up. No, never, <laughs> never, never once. I, it's all news to me. But yeah. I, <laughs> This is, it's, it's great because I don't know. I mean, this, and this isn't just for artists. It's just artists tend to do it more publicly where, you know, people get to a certain age and they kind of stop and, and there's this, this look in the mirror and, you know, who, who am I and what am I doing and, and can I keep doing it? And am I happy? And Takeshi Kitano finally slowed down for a second, took a look in the mirror and was just like, boy, I fucking hate this guy. Uh, so yeah, it, it, uh, there's all this like self-destruction and self-doubt and self-loathing that is infused into these three movies, which are uh, a little bit autobiographical, uh, but also, uh, very meta and, and very, uh, mean, but, but not like outwardly mean, just inwardly mean. You could, you could sense that Katano's not happy, it seems. Which is great, too, because all three of the movies we're going to talk about today, uh, I wouldn't categorize them as just comedies, maybe? I mean, they sort of are. They, uh, it's well, one messy. of them is, uh, I would say. Yeah, but they're, they're all hilarious. Even, <laughs> you know, to the point where I, I think at least two of these movies, you could, you could argue that there's, there's like a colossal shift. Uh, tonally in in them where you you don't know if he's like when is he being serious and when is he fucking around and and what the fuck is going on uh but anyways hey let's talk about Takeshi's why don't we uh this is it's great because we have uh it's basically beat Takeshi encounters a guy who looks like him but with like shitty gray blonde hair and the guy's name is Katano. <laughs> and so you've got Takeshi Takano, the actual man. You've got Takeshi Katano behind the camera. And then you've got Takeshi Katano alternate universe where he's a fan of the man and also a, a store clerk who fantasizes about, I, I don't know, killing a lot of people with handguns. <laughs> so. <laughs> It all it all comes back to the handguns. It all comes back to the handguns. Eventually, it's not a Katano movie until you get to a point where everybody stands around brooding, and then eventually uh, you have a brief uh, bit of extreme violence. But, um, yeah, this is you. You really start to get the mean streak here, uh, pr- pretty pretty <laughs> early on. Yeah, I. I <laughs> I suppose it's like, again, key, we, we should draw a distinction. So throughout his early films, throughout a lot of his films, and Katano starred in most of his films prior to this as well, not all of them. Um, 
but he has always maintained that as a writer, director, editor, he is Takeshi Kitano, whereas as an actor, he is often credited as Beat Takeshi from his original Manzai comedy duo, The the Beats. And he was Beat Takeshi, the guy was Beat Kiyoshi, and that was their names. So in Japan, he was always known as Beat Takeshi for his, like, on-screen persona. So there's, I think he was just kind of running with that distinction here. And essentially, there's Mr. Katano or Mr. Takeshi, who's, he, who's Takeshi Katano, the respected, kind of established filmmaker. And then there's kind of Beat Takeshi characters. He's not called that within the movie, but he's just sort of like, he's the struggling actor who's on screen, who wants to be a movie star and wants to be in that position but is also kind of like he can't get an audition he's struggling um despite looking almost exactly like Takeshi Kitano and I think it's you know I guess if you were to try and sum up Takeshi's the film it's basically that kind of struggle between the established Takeshi Kitano filmmaker and the kind of like uproarious kind of ill-disciplined goofy beat Takeshi the performer and where those two Mm -hmm might you know not quite line up and and after that like i mean the whole film is a series of not quite sketches but i mean kind of like a series of fantastical diversions like daydreams almost um of both characters one character it's not entirely clear maybe both simultaneously it just kind of shifts perspective a lot and just odd things keep happening throughout with i mean i think this honestly is pretty entertaining movie it's got a lot it's got a lot of goofy jokes and nonsense in it and funny things happening uh, and playing around certainly as well with Takeshi Kitano's established character like there's so much of this movie is is him standing around with pistols just shooting things but it's just like racked up absurd which of course I mean if you've seen any of his key 90s work like that's what he does in those two he just stands around with guns shooting people uh, but it's kind of like pushed to the point of absurdity here. He kind of he knows yeah. he's kind of dressing himself down. Um, so kind of kind of a a peculiar start. You you could see the breaks, and I, you could see again from a distributor perspective that this movie doesn't really work unless you have some idea who Takeshi Kitano is. Otherwise, this is just a movie about like I don't know the prince and the pauper, but both of them are a Japanese guy, and then there's just a lot of gun violence. <laughs> yeah right see it's an easy solve when you export it to america you just make sure to mention uh, most extreme elimination challenge right. yeah uh yeah it's most extreme elimination challenge mixed with uh falling down that's probably yeah i see i i get a little different vibe i guess you know as to call back to our brett michaels episode which we oh, yeah, described right. that shitty prison movie as as very lost highway-esque and this this to be has a really similar structure to Lost Highway. And uh, yeah, I think there's a lot of interesting self-examination here. It, it feels like more than really like embodying this character of this lower class guy, it, it, it feels a lot more like Katano just kind of looking at ways his life may well have gone if he didn't get a break, you know, like <laughs> it's just, it, and you know, obviously taken to, it's sort of the most absurd extremes possible, but yeah, it's just a really interesting film, especially from an autobiographical uh, tinge. And also it's, yeah, it's a lot of fun too. And that, that might be something I won't say about all three of these films, but this one, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I think it really is something kind of special. Uh, it's a, 
if if it weren't like part of a maybe a little mopey shoegazy uh trilogy and was it was just kind of a one-off where he was like taking a an interesting look back at his career and what what might have been if, if things went a little differently then this would be mm-hmm. i think a pretty stellar piece of work yeah yeah, yeah. i think no, i think it, this one is is the most fun for sure uh but again to your to your point it's it's not a one-off it's it's part of his decade of loathing so yeah <laughs> gets a full decade in yeah I, I think not only is it a kind of i, I think it does it, it look back on like what would have happened if he didn't get his own break i think there's also kind of a schism within it of um in seeing a takeshi katano figure who's you know auditioning and not getting the roles while we know that there's an established takeshi katano mm-hmm. kind of you know producer who's already structured there, there's also, I think, a feeling of kind of a, a stagnancy as as his perform as a performer. That he, it, I think, there's also a feeling of not just what would have happened if you know I hadn't you know got the roles that I got or that broke out in the way that I broke out. You know, and he did take a lot of risks as an actor. Like he didn't do comedy. He's always taken his his movie roles very seriously as compared to his TV. Like his TV stuff is bonkers, and then his movies roles. I would say he's doing like. Nagisa Oshima movies and stuff like like serious business. So I think there's also that feeling of, um, you know, kind of this idea of do I have where where do I go next as a performer? Like as a writer, director, editor, I can you know I have a lot of power, but on screen, what what am I doing? Where do I go next? And it's also I guess just because people want to mention it, the the people who are fans of Katano will be like, what about the 1994 scooter accident? And it's like, yes, the scooter accident was a major kind of shift in his in his career. He nearly died. Half his face has been paralyzed since, which gives a very distinctive pattern to him as as an actor. Um, he obviously recovered from that and and continued to make movies. But I think it is interesting that like even when that crash happened, uh, there was a discussion of it being a suicide attempt, uh, which was never officially said. But apparently, in an ATV interview a couple of years later. Kitano kind of conceded that there might have been an unconscious suicide element to the crash, you know, which I don't know, maybe he was just picking a good story out of it. But, you know, the idea, I think he's always wrestled with his role as as someone who's kind of like incredibly famous and incredibly popular, but it takes his filmmaking incredibly seriously. And again, it's, it's worth noting, like, um, last week I just watched a scene at the sea, his third film, which I think is masterful. I think it's an incredible, wonderful film. Uh, and his next film after that was Sonatine, and Sonatine takes its title from a Sonatina, which is like a an abridged version of a sonata. It's like a kind of like a landmark in a composer's career to write a Sonatina before they move on to bigger things. You know, it's kind of like a, you know, you would say kind of like a mark of maturity. For a composer to compose such a thing, and I think he named his film that because he felt that with Sonatine he had achieved a certain degree of complexity and skill, which is above all else a very serious way to look at your own filmmaking. That he like he is a very goals oriented, mm-hmm. serious filmmaker in his own estimation, and I think this film is you know like I say again the result of someone who is starting to realize it's like what if I am through? Yep. Exactly. Which is kind of wild considering uh, what critiques I would have of these movies. And, and there are many, especially as we move to the, the following ones. I, I, they certainly don't read like 
uh, films from someone who's out of ideas. <laughs> no, <laughs> it, it is. It, I think I think the script for Takeshi's had been knocking or the idea had been knocking around since at least Sonatine. So I think he, he always had these ideas. But, you know, I, I do wonder if maybe part of that was also, I mean, it is interesting that the famous comedian never made it like only made one comedy, like straight comedy in whatever, like, uh, 12 years or so of filmmaking, 13 years of, like, very successful filmmaking internationally. He only made one comedy. And these are, like, really, I think Takeshi's is really, after getting any in the mid-90s, Takeshi's in, is, is probably his second overt comedy. There's obviously, there's jokes in his other works, but, like, even Kikajiro, which is a very, you know, kind of sentimental kind of uh light not exactly lightweight but kind of like playful film there's still you know it, it's still a drama before it's a comedy um so mm -hmm. yeah it, it's kind of it's kind of odd like it, it's it's strange like the and certainly these films feel like they're not for the international audience these feel like they're for japanese people and i'm just wondering if he's reckoning with that with the fact they're less interested in him as a quote-unquote artist rather than as yeah. the, the wild guy on TV. Well, and, and he, I mean, th that was kind of like a conscious decision by him at one point, too, because uh, I think after success in the 90s, so it would have been a little bit before Takeshi's here, like, was it like 99 or 2000 or somewhere around there? He, he did, it, uh, uh, he filmed something outside of Japan, and I think there was English-speaking actors in it, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yeah 2000, Obviously, brother, seen it. right? Brother, yeah, bro okay, brother, so the yeah. one that you've seen, there you go. Uh, yeah, and he, he fucking hated it, and it didn't do well. So he just said, "Well, I'm never making a movie outside of Japan ever again. I'm just, I'm done trying to go outside." Yeah, of that my one, own it didn't, it didn't take off as time, well. Yeah, it, it, then at the same time, it's like he he gets to this period now where he's he's being self reflective and, and to your point, is making something that is designed completely like th this movie does not work if you are not intimately familiar with this man and like what he means culturally so it's like designed for japanese audiences and then it completely eats shit <laughs> so uh but it i mean it's great and it's nice too because i think there is a difference with artists who you know they they think they're being self-reflective and they think they know who they are but then when they try to do something um, you know, there's with like metatextual elements or or really like inward looking, their view of themselves is just transparently distorted. And Katano, he he understands himself and his audience and what he means culturally, and that's fun to see on screen. Like even even the way that he depicts violence in this movie, I fucking love it because. I mean, if you watch any other Katano movie, all of his violence has, it has like a weight to it, right? Mm -hmm. um, it, it, every single time someone is killed, like, it fucking means something. And here, he is, is literally, he's got like six different handguns and a machine gun. He kills every single person in his life. <laughs> repeatedly and then they just keep coming back so it's like the violence is non-stop and it actually means nothing there's an entire shootout sequence where they're they're all like standing like five feet away from each other and no one is actually killing anyone they're just like shooting aimlessly it's 
It's great. It's really it, great. Yeah, it does. A lot of it does have the feeling of like trying to like stop intrusive thoughts. It's like just like mm. go away, leave me alone, and it just won't. Like they keep showing up. I mean, I also think like it's really funny. I mean, I think uh, Susumu Terajima's character in this, who's uh, you know, this film by the way is filled with his roster of recurring actors. If you've watched any of Kitano's '90s work, you will see all these people and recognize them, including Suzuma Terajima, who's also been in a shit ton of like Takashi Miike movies and everything. So he's, he's mm-hmm. always always playing like kind of a short, very angry man. It seems like he's just got that role dialed down perfectly. But he's like credited in Takeshi's, I think is like Takeshi's friend. And he's just this horrible neighbor who just laughs because he never gets roles. And he and his girlfriend just hang out and they just openly mock him for even trying <laughs> and so eventually yeah. he kills him and then he just keeps showing up in the movie still just covered in blood mm-hmm. well and the other thing too is like this is this is the only way that he gets respect from anyone like when he's trying to be an actor and he's just trying to be a regular guy everyone shits all over him but it's like oh no when i go into the noodle shop and wave a gun around everybody likes me all of a sudden <laughs> <laughs> yeah. imagine how that works yeah it's uh when you talk about things like themes like stagnation and this sort of idea that he feels like he might be spent as an artist it, it's all reflected in performance like not just in this film either especially the the following film it's like he's like a fucking someone unplugged him in these fucking movies he, he's his performances are very deliberately sort of strange and vacant yeah, I mean, I think there's always, uh, Katana's always been like the, the stoic face, and I think the, the scooter accident only exacerbated that by like removing, literally completely removing the ability of half of his face to register a lot of emotion. So he's always been kind of like a stone-faced actor, but you're right. I mean, it, it's, it's, there's just this element of like, he, he just doesn't even know what he's, what to do in a lot of the situation. And it, yeah, what's peculiar... It's not even like, yeah, it's not even all face, though. It's oh, just yeah, like, yeah, no. It's, his, he's just like stock still. And again, it is <laughs> sort of something you'll see in action movies. Believe it or not, I have seen more than, than most Extreme Elimination Challenge. But uh, yeah, um, it is... He's obviously not like a fucking Hong Kong action star or something. He, he's not like a physical actor necessarily. No. But th- it feels like a very deliberate choice how like oddly still he is in he's especially kind of this film and the in, in some of the the scenes it's true yeah it's <laughs> he, he really and i makes me wonder too because again like like the the gun violence it's something that he's known for so it's just like oh yeah you think i'm mr stoneface let me play this up to the nth degree um Mm-hmm. Also, it just kind of fits generally with the idea that he he really seems to not be happy with life or himself at this period. Right. So. It does. It definitely feels like, and I've seen borne out that this this is the work of someone who struggled with depression throughout his life. I think there's there's a strong edge of that throughout all three of these films. Um, the the other mm-hmm. thing that I think is interesting, and it, it certainly comes through in, I think particularly in the later films we're discussing, but you see it here as well. I mean, there's one scene after the big bank robbery, the ridiculous bank robbery, where he robs a bank, and then as he's leaving, everyone starts pestering him for money because he's got a bag full of money. Uh, but, like, that <laughs> scene ends with it just fades to black, which, you know, if you're familiar with Kitano's work, it's he tends to maintain a very clean editorial style, clean cuts, uh, not a lot of camera movement, just very elegant minimalist 
structures for everything. Not really how these movies are made. There's a lot more camera movement. There's some more close-ups and kind of like kind of like variation of shot. We have things like dissolves and, and things like that, which is it, it feels like he's kind of cutting loose a little bit on the filmmaking side as well to kind of like moving away from what he's typically known for. It's still in a lot of places unmistakably Gatano, but maybe that's just because he's in every frame of the movie one way or another. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, he's kind of like he's he's also kind of seems to be broadening his vocabulary a bit visually or, or whatever, structurally. Mm-hmm. Well, and it it's kind of a nice segue to uh, the next movie that, that mm. he made here, and uh, which is Glory to the Filmmaker from 2007. Uh, I think a lot of people seem to cite this as his absolute worst movie. Um, in a way, I, I think it ties together really nicely with Takeshi's because um, hitting on a lot of the same themes, but also just kind of cranking up some of the madcap, goofy bullshit. Uh, and and losing a lot of the structure, uh, but you know, the thing I like about this is it reminds me. Do you remember? Okay, so so Radiohead makes Kid A, and everyone's like, "Oh wow, this is so great!" And then and then Amnesiac comes out like a year later, and you're like, "Oh, it's just like Kid A, but a little shittier," because it's basically just like the B sides from that session, more or less. And that's what this feels like. This is <laughs> we we use a, a metaphor that would have been great in 2003. Um, yeah. It's 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 a lot more of the same. It's him saying like, okay, I've reached this point in my career where I should be able to do whatever. But, you know, people keep trying to tell me to do this, to do that, to do this other thing. So it's like, oh, you should do a, uh, you know, a, a movie with a with a woman lead or you should do, uh, a, a, you know, a traditional drama or something like that. <laughs> and so the whole probably like 30 to 45 minutes of, of this movie in the beginning is just him fucking around with this stuff. And it's hilarious. Uh, there's one where yeah. he, he he's like, and, and then I wanted to do a movie where I played a, a blind painter who falls in love, but then decided that I didn't know what a blind painter's painting would look like or something. Like which is that. beautifully tied together towards the end of the movie where we see the painting he produces, which is an incredibly crude, naked lady, uh, like just a fantastically <laughs> stupid joke. But yeah, it's yeah, so the, first, the first 40 so minutes or so of this is literally sketch comedy. And it's just about it's just like we, we want to make this movie so and then it's like a horror movie or whatever and i'm the it's really funny i really enjoyed this section of the movie um, oh my god it's and, full and of just great so, jokes yeah it's it's full of great jokes and even describing some of the shit in the hands of anyone else it would not be as funny as it is but because it's katano it's it's fucking amazing like there's the, the horror the horror movie thing that you, you i love about, the like, horror movie yeah. I keep in mind, like all of these, all of these like little short vignettes within this, they all end with, and then such and such happened and you know, we didn't finish it or whatever. Or, <laughs> like none of these actually get finished, but we get these like little glimpses of what they are, or what they could have been. And the horror movie one, first of all, like him as a ghost, he's like wearing this creepy mask, this like um, kabuki outfit, basically. <laughs> And then he takes off the mask and he's got this ridiculous face paint on that's supposed to be scarier, but he just makes it look like a complete, like, he looks like a fucking juggalo or something. 
And then <laughs> you think that's just the joke, but then they go, oh no. And, and then when we were filming it, this kept happening. And they show Katano, and, and it's, he's in this like traditional like uh, Japanese house. It's got these like sliding doors. And the doors aren't sliding open fast enough, so he's just running into the door frame, and he's ow. My ow. my favorite, it's one really of my favorite subtle. jokes in in the horror movie segment uh, is the fact that there's like a theremin on the soundtrack, you know, <laughs> which is a very horror music kind of a sound, but it is like it sounds mm. like someone learning to play the theremin. It's just like going all over the place in the backdrop mm -hmm. of this like classic Japanese like you know, spooky house. It's just, yeah. it's just really, there's some really great stuff A woman stuff in a bikini here. for no reason other than you're supposed to have a woman in a bikini in a horror movie, I guess. That's, That's right, yeah, school <laughs> girls in bikinis show up because it just seems saleable and then it's like, what were we thinking? We can't do that. Yeah, it, it's, uh, I mean, Glory to the Filmmaker is, like I say, it starts off very much as an out-and-out -out comedy and the conceit within it is essentially, I mean, the film opens with uh, a kind of, model of Gitano, a kind of like, you know, kind of life-size model of him being subjected to various medical scans, and then the joke is that he sent the model along because he couldn't make it. So, you know, the, the doctor just had to, like, do a, a CAT scan on this this puppet, essentially. But then the, <laughs> the puppet becomes Gitano, right? Like, throughout the film, and this is kind of the interesting element of it, is, is Gitano then appears and he's always wearing the same clothes. Um, He's kind of dressed like a schoolboy, and he's just kind of walking around with the puppet, but then at certain points he transforms into the puppet, normally when people are criticizing him, because this film becomes more and more about everyone telling him that he's bad at making movies, or that it's a stupid idea, and, you know, this, they don't like him. And uh, it's, it's this kind of strange, kind of like, call and react kind of element to you know, metatextually to him messing around and basically not making a real movie. I mean, it's kind of a bunch of goofy sketches. And then the back hour of this film, which I think is the one that we would all agree is less fun or less successful. It kind of like settles mm -hmm. down into what's called a sci-fi skit, except there's not actually a lot of sci-fi in it. It's just, it's really just a story. Um, but like the last hour settles down into a single continuous story that basically involves, uh, God, it involves a lot, but basically involves like some weird, jokey, benevolent organization that gives out donations everywhere, and Takeshi Kitano works for one of them, and he ends up getting kind of roped in with two, with a mother-daughter kind of group of con women who decide they're going to like hit him up for money, but they, they decide they're going to like pretend to marry him because they reckon he's rich, but he's not actually rich because he lives in a tiny shack in front of a giant castle in one of the things, <laughs> that, you know, and there's just all this weird stuff happens. And then there's just, I think it's Pete Kiyoshi actually shows up as, yeah, you know, his, his former comedy partner, I'm pretty sure that's who it is, shows up as um, just some other guy, as like a mad laughing professor with a giant robot and other things happen. At this point, like, the film is completely dissolved. The, the reason I think that the back hour doesn't work so well is because there's no actual dramatic structure. It's just, it just keeps going, and you're not quite sure. Like, it yeah. works pretty well when it's, like, a ten-minute thing, a five-minute thing. That's fine, well, but it's an hour. Yeah, and I mean, I guess it's the joke, right? I, or, or at least the purpose, if not the joke, is that, you know, it's again, framed as this genre thing, but it slowly dissolves to incorporate all of the other genres and become this sort of formless fucking thing, more resembling 
I guess what what he would be interested in making rather than a genre film. But mm-hmm. my God, it's 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 abrasive. <laughs> yeah, you know, and that's the thing is like it switches from something that is, you know, fun and and maybe like a little snarky and a little bit of a of a, you know, just just taking the piss out of the Japanese film industry. But then it gets to the point. It's like okay, well, yeah, we we decided like. Uh, you know, none of these things work. So this is the movie that we have to make because this is what people want. And then, of course, the long form joke is nobody wants this. And then you get an hour of uh, Takeshi Kitano, the actual man who made this movie, essentially just antagonizing the audience. So it's a joke, but <laughs> it's on us. And yeah, then all of a yeah. sudden it's like you're you're, you know, I I don't know. You're 100 minutes into this fucking thing and there's some guy in a like a cornfield with a, a weird like dick thing that he's swinging around and it's just there's just so much going on here and it really is it's pure antagonism even there's another part of this section too where uh katano does like a little like matrix riff like it's oh, a matrix yes. parody in yes, 2007 yeah. which is that's got to be at like the peak of that's not fucking funny at all (laughs) but it's one of those things where it's just like because it's actually the least cool most cringy (laughs) not appropriate for 2007 parody you can do he just takes that and he leans into it so it's fucking funny it's like if you're looking at if you're looking at this like narratively it's like what the fuck like you have to really accept what what has happened at some point because like the matrix thing is shortly followed by him like going to a karate studio where you can't do fucking anything at all. And I'm like, what? <laughs> I thought he was like Neo. I mean, like to be fair, the Matrix skit is pretty damn funny. Again, yeah. given the context that Takeshi Kitano's entire career has involved every action sequence he's in, he stands still. Like, he never moves. And like, in very yeah. all, all of his films, like Sonatine and brother when i first saw it and was so confused by it part of it was because every gunfight in his film no one moves everyone just pulls their gun out and just starts firing and they just stand on either side of the room and at the end of the scene the appropriate people are still alive and everyone else is dead and all of his films are like that so it's just it is pretty funny to have him have him doing his weird you know dodging thing. of course the bullet hits off a tree and it bounces back and hits him on his head and he goes ouch because of course, you know. I'm also just going to quickly issue a correction. It's not uh, Beat Kiyoshi playing the professor. It's Rakio Ida, who is another one of his recurring things, which means that I don't know what Beat Kiyoshi looks like. I could have sworn that was him. So anyhow, uh, mo- moving on. Who knows? Who could keep track of what's going on? Who could this keep movie? track? To yeah. be fair, this movie also uh, has um, the amazing uh, uh, ramen noodle wrestler scene, which is probably the thing I'm going to take from this one more than anything that else awesome. yeah where they complain about the restaurant they put a the two the two con women stick a cockroach in in a bowl of noodles to get out of paying the bill and just as they're about to do that a huge table of burly men do exactly the same thing and then the owners of the noodle shop come out and they are even burlier men and proceed to have <laughs> a longer than you would think it would be wrestling match uh mm-hmm Pure cinema. Incredible. Yeah, that's good yeah, stuff. I was wondering if Steve uh, was recognizing any of these. I see Masahiro Chono is, uh, is credited as nothing, oh, yeah. but I'm assuming he's one of the... <laughs> yeah, they're, they're definitely, definitely wrestlers. Yeah. They're huge men. <laughs> this is... Yeah, they're gigantic. Absolutely. 
Uh, no, I mean, there's, it, it's funny because, again, like, most people seem to cite this as his worst movie, but even when it's not working, there's so many amazing things in this film, and, and there's, there's such, like, a, there's an energy to it and a level of creativity, and, and just the fact that he fucking made this thing is, it's, it's <laughs> insane. Yeah, I, mean, I, I can't I was... even imagine pitching this. He's like, okay, so I want to do this thing, and it's it's more of my, it's more of the self reflective, uh, you know, meta shit and blah blah. And they're like, you you just did that two years ago. <laughs> Why are you doing like, yes, this again? But what what if I did it? But it was like far more abrasive for everyone. Yeah, it's, mm -hmm, I, yeah. I, I guess it begs the question. Although Masayuki Mori is like his longtime film producer, does Takeshi have to actually pitch anything, or can he just do what he wants? Who knows? He just does what he wants. I imagine at this point he's just doing what he wants. I, yeah, but, it feels and, and like it. To further contextualize this film and, and where his career was at this point, you know, he's almost becoming like a self-fulfilling prophecy because he's like, oh, what if I'm, you know, what if I'm not successful? What would that be like? And blah, blah, blah. And he's, he's just like torpedoing his own career. Uh, this movie, critical failure, box office failure, all of that. Uh, he submitted it to Cannes and got denied. They were just like, no. Which again is insane because I don't know. You can fucking show like whatever there. I mean, <laughs> you know, even, if you, even if you don't played. make it into competition, you can just like show it there. And they, and they were like, uh uh, <laughs> not this one, buddy. <laughs> and 10 years ago, I mean, God, he, he would have been on top of the world in, in the art house cinema, international cinema community. And, and yeah. now they're just like, fuck off. <laughs> I mean, it's not like hard to understand. Like this movie. Even describing it sounds much more enjoyable and interesting than it ends up being. Like, I really legitimately love the first uh, section of this where it's these parodies. And even the conclusion, it's all like pitched as almost like Mel Brooksy sort of thing. And but the the main narrative is I don't I it's like impenetrable. It, it's totally impenetrable. Like maybe there's a cultural disconnect. I don't have any idea, but I don't, uh, there's some good gags, but really it's just kind of like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> the thing, the like thing that I'm doing goofs. Yeah. The <laughs> thing I don't like about this film, and I think it's, it's probably the thing that's exacerbated in the next film that, that really, because to me, I think uh, Achilles and the Tortoise is, is the bad film of the bunch. And maybe, maybe the only Kitano film I've ever seen that I would say is maybe, really on the whole like didn't work for me and and even that it's like borderline you know like Truffaut said there are there aren't you know bad movies just bad directors you know, you know and if it's if it's a good filmmaker all their movies are good and I, I kind of honestly there's kind of a truth to that and I think even Catano missing the mark is is way more interesting than a lot of other people but um I I do feel that Glory the filmmaker has he's maybe slipping a little bit into self-pity in parts um, I, I do, I just, just kind of an energy throughout because, because a lot of the times through the film, whenever people are berating him for stuff, he does this thing where he transforms into the puppet and the puppet gets like walloped or anything. But there's, there's an enormous amount of people complaining to him and bitching to him about this and that. And it, it does at a certain point feel a little bit like, you know, like, come on, man, like you're, you, you're Takeshi Kitano. You, you are just stupidly successful by any metric anywhere you know even if your movies weren't commercially successful like you have so much other stuff it, you know at this point let's just bear in mind from from an autobiographical thing and this will come up again in achilles and the tortoise like 
Kitano has multiple books he's published in Japan about his life, autobiographical books that are, you know, big sellers. Like, everyone knows everything about the man. He has lived his life completely in the public since the 1970s. And I'm sure that must come with some downsides, but it also, it's kind of like, it's it's allowed him this incredibly open career where he's moved in and out of so many different disciplines seemingly quite seamlessly and certainly i mean he i'm sure he's not poor i'm sure he's not struggling at any point you know he's he's able to do pretty much whatever he wants and there is just a feeling in this movie towards the end and um, that i'm just kind of like uh you know it just kind of feels a little bit like oh uh, you know people are maybe a little mean to me and again like it's hard to say how serious it is to some degree because the movie has no continuity within it or no real dramatic center hold that would allow you to completely contextualize it but there's just just a little bit of a feeling of pettiness creeps in a little bit in this movie that i think then becomes more pronounced in uh, achilles and the tortoise so th it, that's my only complaint on the on balance i liked this movie i i like glories of the filmmaker it does it does turn into a weird shaggy dog story but i think even that is pretty funny <laughs> on its own even if at certain points you are you will check your watch during this one you will yeah. you will be kind of like yeah. ah, what what is going on why are we like since there's no way to there's no storyline that you can be like well we got to be towards the end like literally anything could happen next scene onwards even when it settles into mm -hmm. one thing so it does kind of get to a point at some point where you're like ah, what where are we what is happening mm -hmm. see i i haven't seen all of his films obviously but i think uh I, I'd probably, of what I have seen, I'm going to go with the consensus that this is probably the nadir for me, because I feel like by the end of, of the next film, I had some real grasp of what he was trying to do. And I, I have like the loosest possible grasp of what he was trying to do in this. Yeah, I mean, we've discussed <laughs> certain aspects that kind of bleed through, but there is so much of this movie where you're like, why is this person have a fucking duck puppet? Like... <laughs> What is this scientist character like? Why is this like the climax with this fucking robot? And it's like, what the fuck even is this? Like, I, I, is this like a, it, and it's not kind of confounding in a way that I find like surprising and entertaining, but more in a way that I find like, I just was annoyed at, at a certain point during the, during the last hour. I was like, what in the fuck is this fucking movie? Let's move on. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so I guess Takeshi's is, uh, I hate myself, and maybe it's my fault. Glory to the Filmmaker is, I hate myself, and it's my fault, but maybe it's a little bit your fault, too. And then we get to Achilles and the Tortoise, and God, this is, it's like the inverse of Glory to the Filmmaker, because it is a solid 90 minutes of like a it's like a fucking period piece like it starts <laughs> off as like it's like it's a post-war japanese drama coming of age like this is his 400 blows or some shit and then <laughs> we you know we, we finally get to the point where in the last 30 minutes it's hilarious and it's great yeah, I think but, I, but, I think I but did. But then I'm like, why? Why do we have to do everything leading up to this moment? <laughs> yeah, I think this movie I am gonna have to revisit definitely because just the way that it worked out, I I was watching this movie yesterday and I just happened to get pulled away 
about 90 minutes in. And it was at that point I was like, I don't really like this movie. This movie isn't really working. And I was it was this morning when I was finally able to get back to it. And it was like sitting down to watch a different movie. It was like it started yes, off again. It feels and like it's a like, totally different movie. What is happening? Yeah. This is because now like, you're right. The last half hour of, of Achilles and the Tortoise is sketch comedy again. It's it's his quest to create new and interesting art. And it's a fucking mm. ridiculous throughout but yeah, the, yeah, the early part. I think part, at that point that you stopped, you had described this as maybe his most straightforward yes. film, and I, I was already—I was just finishing it up, and I'm like, I don't think it is. I think <laughs> this is all fucking a big joke. I think this whole thing is a goddamn joke. <laughs> I think it might be, and it, it's peculiar because it—it kind of rings of autobiography, but it isn't actually autobiographical at all. I don't think. Um, Catano is a—he's a successful painter in his own right, and if you've ever seen, firstly, all the paintings in the movie are done by him. Uh, but like famously, like Hanabi, uh, the all of the paintings in that, and one one of the characters uh, is a police officer who's shot during a a, a a hold up, and he loses the use of his legs, and he's basically he's in a wheelchair and he's contemplating suicide, and someone gives him art supplies, and he just starts doing, he starts painting, and and it's this really within the film really beautiful plot thread about using art to stave off just uh, giving up. And it's all Katano's own paintings within it. Uh, I think Katano mostly took up painting, I think, after his own accident. I don't think it was, you know, in this movie, he starts off, he's a child and he can't stop painting. And he is the son of a painter or son of a dealer who is close, who is is close friends with the painter. And the painter, like, gives him advice and gives him a beret that he wears for the entire film and so on and so forth. And it, it all feels very much like, you know, and this is how I became an artist, but it's not a, at all how Takeshi Kitano came to be an artist himself or a, a no. painter. It's it, none See, of I, it. I think it was I like mean, right it, about the art school segment where I was like, something else is going on right. here. Like when his buddy just fucking like jumps off a bridge next to him, I'm like, something, something is yeah, not, who, who this else, is not what I who think. Who else goes is. to art school and has two of their classmates literally die just yes. on in the in the quest for art. <laughs> yeah, that was the point where I'm like, I don't think this movie's this but, is not a period yeah, no, there, drama at all. This is a piss take. There's these moments of like strong drama because yeah, the the first hour and a half really is like he's he's a young child. His father, uh, his father has a business fluctuation. Basically, he declares bankruptcy. He commits suicide with his mistress. His daughter, his his mother, drops the child off with his uh, his uncle i guess uh to take care of him while she goes to look for other opportunities she then commits suicide uh so he's left with his uncle and he hates him and won't let him draw and you know kind of like is you know and eventually gives him up to an orphanage you know and it's it's just a sob story this terrible series of tragic events and he comes out of the, the orphanage and he's just he's possessed of this will to paint and he continues to paint and he eventually goes to art school to find out what it is. To, and it's worth mentioning, the film opens with this odd anime section of, of the, the Grecians discussing, uh, I can't remember which Greek philosopher came up with the, the original problem of the, you know, if, if you shoot an arrow, can it ever actually travel like a uh, hundred meters because you can keep subdividing the distance infinitely. So at a certain point, the, you know, the arrow at all points essentially has an infinite amount of distance to travel, even within 100 meters. So how can it ever, how is movement possible? Um, they do their own version of that, which is essentially that, you know, if Achilles is chasing a tortoise, 
the tortoise always has essentially and uh, will always be ahead of him. He can never overtake it because the distance between them can always be subdivided infinitely. There's no way you can traverse an infinite amount of distance. Um, and this, of course, becomes, I guess, the, the forging idea is that it's the quest for art is similar. Like, if, if the second you think you've caught art, you've only caught the stale idea. And, you know, you're, mm -hmm. you're always that. And that's kind of the driving idea of the film. And he's his whole life, he's questing to find art, to, to really live art, to become that. Um, and it's, it's peculiar because as a child, he's a pretty good artist and he gets a certain degree of, of praise for it. But he's, of course, he's a child, you know, he, his art is naive and silly. But at the same time, one of his paintings as a child ends up in the gallery of the guy who keeps spending the rest of his entire life telling me shit at art, which is very, <laughs> a very peculiar thing. He paints a, a, a landscape, kind of a scene of like a boat docked outside a hotel. It's this very like boring, like, like a painting you'd find in a hotel. And someone tells him as much, like, that's really boring. No one cares about that. It's like a painting and you'd, you'd find in a hotel. And sure enough, later on, while well, he's like borrowing money from his prostitute daughter so he can continue making art, that painting is hanging in the restaurant they meet in. Uh, so there's this constant tension of like, is like he could have been a successful artist, but he just kept she listened one listening to one art critic was terrible advice or else you know maybe you know what does it mean entirely unclear but it does feel like there's a joke in here about the concept that any commentary about whether or not you're what you're doing is fresh or unique it's probably needs to be tempered with some kind of realistic view that like art has to be contextualized in and of itself it's mostly just nonsense uh, i think yeah, yeah. is kind of the rule and, but, you know, you've got Katano's self-loathing is, of course, on display here. And I don't know. It, it, this is where this is the other part where it kind of falls apart for me, because it's basically like an allegory for his whole ass professional life. So he's he's gotten famous and, he, and, you know, he makes all this money sitting on TV shows and Katano, the actual man. He I, I think at, at some level, he doesn't really like the the beat Takeshi persona and that's why to your point too he takes he takes his his filmmaking very seriously mm -hmm. uh, so that's why he uses Takeshi Kitano instead of beat Takeshi when he is is writing and directing uh so then it's like you know he's he's looking back and it's just like oh well maybe I haven't actually created something of substance and that's but that's exactly what he's been trying to do this entire time getting into painting and music and and the film career and all this stuff when he could have just coasted just because he's trying to reach for something absolutely impossible but at the same time i he's he's like shitting on the thing that made all of these other things possible and i have i have trouble feeling bad for takeshi katano on that level so once you start connecting those dots of the movies it's, it's like okay Again, but at yeah. the same time, it's fucking funny once they actually get to the part where it's like, okay, the artist is an adult, he is Takeshi Kitato in the movie, and now he's getting horrible advice about art and doing things like dressing his wife up in an all-white bodysuit and having a boxer punch her <laughs> with paint. <laughs> yeah, it's like his quest for action painting just becomes more and more increasingly dangerous. But yeah, I, I would mm -hmm. agree. I think, again, this is comes, there's, 
to me, there, there's still that element of self-pity in this film. And it, I don't know, it's strange because that last half hour seems very much like, haha, it was all, you know, uh, a cunning ruse. You know, you guys sat through, yeah. you guys sat through 90 minutes of, of something and now yep. it's and joke time. And that's why I like Glory to the Filmmaker more because there is an extended joke where the movie just turns into a, a whole hell of a lot, like an hour of audience antagonizing. <laughs> and so the wheels fall off and it loses all of its structure and it just kind of unravels before you. But it's yeah. interesting you watch it unravel. Whereas this, it's like, no, for 90 minutes, I'm going to give you something that's a bit of a piss take, but also like just dry as fuck for the most part. It's really peculiar in the, the first nine minutes because firstly, I think this more than anything else, what, the reason I said when I when I was 90 or so minutes into it that this felt like his most traditional film is because it used like a lot of like, there's a lot more, there's handheld camera work. There's a lot more kind of like moving dolly shots and push-ins. Mm -hmm. These are like film Not language. Not as usual, set it and yeah, forget it. Exactly, yeah. Like film language that Kitano does not use anywhere else. The music, uh, most through the 90s and, and early 1000s, his music was by Joe Hisaishi, who's, you know, like famously of Studio Ghibli and everything. Even the, the Office Gitano production logo is like very recognizably music by J Joe Hisaishi. Uh, and, and then they had this working partnership and it split acrimoniously, apparently, but no one knows why, I think. I don't think anyone knows why. I've never heard the exact explanation. Sometime, I think, in the early 2000s, I think Dolls maybe might have been the last film they worked together on. Uh, so it's got, you know, but it's got this very somber, traditional score um, throughout it. It's got kind of like jokes on it, sort of like, but they seem like jokes, but then they turn into tragic beats like he... The young, the young Takeshi Kitano, who's not Takeshi Kitano, he's, he's Mashiso Kuromoki. Uh, he, he is who was born to paint and he stands in front of trains and buses because that's the only way you can get them to stop because he has to paint them. And he teaches another man this trick. There's a vagrant who wanders around painting and he's like, I always want to paint trains, but they never stay still. And this little boy explains to him, if you stand in front of them, uh, they'll stop and then he goes and does it and he gets pancaked by a fucking bus and dies <laughs> and and the young boy is on the bus that does it so he gets out and sees a big arc of blood coming out of the guy's head and it's like this is a grand tragedy and the film treats it like that the whole thing it's like just misery porn um, and, and all that yes seems seems very straightforward except that there is also this element where the whole movie is this very sterile colour palette color grading except for the paintings the paintings are always vite or like bright and vibrant like even in the same frame uh, someone will be car like holding the painting and the painting is like 10 times more luminescent and, and saturated and wonderful looking compared to the colors anywhere else in the frame it has this really odd effect like he's it's very much lifting up the art as like this liberating thing and it feels it feels like a shitty Hollywood movie to me. Like it feels like one of those, you know, mm. horribly insulting, like Angela's Ashes, the motion picture film that it's just like it's just oh poor people dragging themselves through the muck. It's like it's it's Monty Python esque almost. Actually, Glory to the Filmmaker is an incredibly Monty Python esque film. Uh, in, yeah. down to the fact that the end credits involve I think Glory the Filmmaker showing up in enormous stone writing and smashing things which is 
literally a Monty Python gag with the titles the way they appear in every episode. Um, it, it, like, it, you can't help but, like, kind of take it seriously until the last half hour deconstructs it. But it, it's peculiar. I, I'm not sure it works. Like I said, I do, I do need to watch this movie in one sitting again and just see how that transition really works. I think this was unfortunately upended at the worst possible time for me. <laughs> yeah, I think it works for me. I, I don't think it's like, you know, it's not going to go up on my list of favorite films. I'll say that. I, yeah. I think it's a, a flawed pursuit to an extent, but also this is the sort of subversion I can get behind because I'm like, why am I watching this fucking boring ass like misery porn movie? And then it's just like, it, for me, it's not even a transition. It's like this slow realization of the, the, the extent and nature of, of what he's doing with these like <laughs> deaths in relation to this kid. And you're like, this is not drama like something else he's he's going for something else and it, it just kind of slowly shifts into this more absurdist thing where all of a sudden you're like yeah like fucking every character in this person's life is just fucking <laughs> throwing themselves off bridges and shit and it's like i i don't i don't know there's something here for sure and i i mean i don't even see it as necessarily that shoegazy i i think a lot of it is I related to kind of him coming to grips with his relationship with art and what he wants out of it and, and realizing that it's kind of a really futile, pointless thing to fucking try and become accepted yeah. as some great artist uh, rather than it's just futile and pointless and it hurts everyone around you. That's, <laughs> that's what being an artist is all about. Yeah. Well, I, I think that hurting everyone around you is, is more of a gag than anything else, I guess, but I, I don't, no, it's not for me to say, I guess. I didn't make it. I'm just reading it as, as it unfurled for me, which is to say that in the moment I was like, I just thought it was a big fucking joke. And there was a point in this movie where I was absolutely like, what the fuck? This is supposed to be a surrealist, <laughs> absurdist film or something like this is just like the most boring rote period piece and it's just like what the fuck is this and why is it part of this trilogy and then it kind of makes sense by the end <laughs> i mean yeah, it is really funny i mean he he finds the the back part of this is he finds a wife who as says like you know supportive and it's bizarre because by the end of it his wife is just painting along with him like she's also an artist and roped in to do this, and then there comes a certain point where she's just like, no, I can't do this anymore, this is just ruining everything, and she leaves. And uh, it's it's just, uh... Until he literally sets himself on fire. Yes, yes, he sets himself on fire, and then he goes and grabs a, a corroded half-coke can and puts it on a brick and tries to sell it on the side of the street for 200,000 yen as, like, an installation art piece, I guess. Which is a pretty good gag, to be honest. Um, yeah, and and brings in the the kind of the the closing part of this. Yeah, I mean, it it feels like the whole film is essentially a, a, an idea that um, you you can't chase art. You have to you have to kind of you have to make it. You have to live it, and it's you know, but it's not like a a self destructive pursuit. There's no point to that. There's you know, it, basically the idea is if you've preconceived, like if there's a market you're trying to make it for, then you've already screwed it up, essentially, I guess, is kind of the idea. But it, but it is incredibly funny that he's like 
trying to make <laughs> he tries to make uh, he paints a little painting of Africa with all these like little African animals on it, and it's a really cute little painting. And then he has his wife walk over it barefoot in blue ink. And then he's like, this is, and he goes to the art dealer and is like, this is art about, you know, Africa being trampled by the white man, which is really funny because an Asian woman actually did the trampling. But then the other guy, the, the art dealer is like, well, the footprints are dark. They should be white then because it's, it just looks like this would be like a dark person's footprints. And also they're barefoot, whereas the colonizers would have worn shoes. So this, this just looks like a painting on Africa trampling itself. <laughs> it's just like yeah you know when you when you come to art with these kind of like very set concepts of you know communicating ideas like so much commercial art is exactly this and it's exactly as shit as what's happening what's it kind of funny in this i actually quite like Takeshi Kitano's kind of comic book art style i think it's actually very kind of very fun so, like, honestly, some of his stuff, is, it's better than the stuff he's spoofing just by default. But uh, he, yeah. he does come up with some very entertaining screw-ups along the way. Oh, my God. Yeah, no, the that yeah. little run at the end of it, of it, at the end of the film is, oh, my God. Like, I was, yeah, I was fucking dying I guess, laughing. <laughs> yeah, that's like, uh, that. that's what separates our, our apparent tastes here between at least Steve and I is that... Uh, I, I like that this ending kind of brings together the annoyance that I felt toward the beginning where, you know, I, Steve preferred to be drawn in by an initial burst of creative energy that flames out into a, a fucking disaster. Whereas uh, me, I could put up with the disaster at first as long as it builds to something. Okay. Yeah, I, I think I think like ultimately for me, this is as a long time Takeshi Gatano fan. I think it's just interesting to finally get to these films um, and realize that like even this like three film stretch of just basically just kind of like pointing the mirror inwards, like navel gazing to some degree or another. And it's debatable how much of it is entirely that, but like it's still, I mean, I really wasn't um, like, these aren't bad movies. Even, even I think, I think Achilles no. and, and, and the tortoise doesn't exactly work for me. Although, like I say, I'm, I'm a little bit, more mixed on it than I th I thought it didn't work for me, and then he changed the movie, and I'm like, maybe it does work. I don't know. Um, but like, <laughs> but the, but the point being that like Takeshi Kitano, even at this point in his career, and this absolutely this three film stretch that we, in our eternal wisdom, decided to open our discussion of the man with, is considered his mm -hmm. lowest ebb and most esoteric outing. Uh, you know, in in a, a bunch of films about yakuza gang war, which is like very easy for movie followers to get into none of that like this three film stretch is just about like the man the myth the interior and the exterior all mixing together and it's yeah. still it's just still like pretty good was uh katana was self-sabotaging in, in this period of his career and uh, that's kind of what we're doing with our own Katano yeah. retrospective. Good we're safe, torpedoing Steve. it from the start. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what we did this on purpose. This was smart. Yeah, this was intentional. Actually, uh, I didn't realize it at the beginning of the show, but uh, now that we've made it to the end, I have decided that we are in fact smart. So yes, this is it's Good. meta. When, whenever we do something stupid, it's actually meta textual, and you're the dumb one. Yeah, you're the dumb one, and uh, yeah, and, and all the gardening stuff definitely tied into this. It all makes sense, you, you big fucking idiot. Yeah, you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think we got him. Got him. <laughs> Anyways, uh, yeah, we should probably wrap this up. So, uh, yeah, Myros, what are you putting over this week? 
Uh, I am. I, I actually listen to music, and I never do that. So no, but they uh they just put out that the uh, anniversary edition of uh, Daft Punk's Random Access Memories, and you know I forget how much I enjoy that album. Uh, yeah, I know there's new tracks. I, I've listened to the remaster, but I've not listened to the new tracks because I always just kind of get caught listening to doing it right and into contact and then i'm like all right i'm good this is this is a hell of a hell of a album there so uh if you've not ever listened to that i'm not even the biggest daft punk person on earth but you know if if you're of our tastes and like wacky fucking italian bullshit uh this really celebrates that it's it's a fantastic electronic music album jack what are you putting over this week uh, I'm gonna put over because uh, I don't I don't think I put this over before uh, Royal Warriors, which is a Michelle Yeoh film. Uh, it is actually maybe the first in the line of duty film, but they kind of retrofitted that whole franchise to it. But I finally got around to this. I've seen almost all the in the line of duty films except for this one, the first one. Yes, Madame is also within it. Uh, they kind of like they made two movies and they kind of fit together with like girls kicking ass. So they're like, oh, maybe we'll make it a franchise. And they just stuck the in the line of duty tag onto them. But Royal Warriors is uh, from 86 and it's got Michelle Yeoh in it. And it's fantastic. Um, it's just insanely nasty, horrible action movie. Everyone's terrible. There's lots and lots of violence. The action just all looks dangerous, like really, really dangerous. Like, just, you know, kind of like, there's that level of action where it's like, it just feels like no one quite had a handle on what was happening. Like, there's one scene where a car blows up and Hiroyuki Sonata is in the movie, a man no no stranger to danger coming from the Sony Chiba action team. And he's running towards the car and the car blows up and it's such a huge explosion I don't, I don't think that's what was meant to happen in that scene, but like he's apparently he didn't die because he was just in the new John Wick film. So he definitely didn't die in this movie. But honestly, if you, if you show this to someone and told them the person did die, they'd probably believe you. So yeah, Royal Warriors, great action sequences, insane collateral damage, just murders everywhere. Johnny Toad did second unit direction, probably did some of the action sequences actually. So an early credit for him as well. Uh, it it kicks ass and it just came out on Blu-ray in the US and in the UK, uh, so easy to get a, a quality copy of and uh, lots and lots of fun for all the family. There you go, kids. Yeah, sit sit down with the fam this weekend. Yeah, your mom will love watching while. a small Japanese child getting blown to smithereens in in a car bombing, and then a whole nightclub. Mm. Uh, everyone into getting just murdered by a guy with an Uzi just spraying everyone with bullets. Wow. Fun. Find me up. Yeah, that'll get that'll get Grandpa hard for the first time in forty years. Uh okay. What am I putting over? Great question. You know, I I don't I don't read as many books as I should. I bet a lot of people say that, uh, but really I don't. Every time I'm inside, I'm I'm like fucking watching all four movies in the house film franchise or whatever, <laughs> uh, and then I go outside and I just get berated by my neighbors. So uh, my life is dog shit. So I don't read. Uh, but when I do, sometimes I buy a book, as I mentioned earlier, so I can literally understand what the fuck is going on. <laughs> and <laughs> I picked up uh, one of the two books that are uh, available in English about uh, the films of Takeshi Kitano. And this one's called The Cinema of Takeshi Kitano, Flowering Blood. It's by Sean Redman. It's good. 
it's it's academic and it's it's a little it, it tries to tie together with this like him wandering around actually trying to meet Takeshi Kitano theme that runs through it. Uh, it's, a, it's a little bit high concept, I, you know. It's kind of like the movies we watch today, uh, <laughs> but it's it's good. There's some really insightful stuff in this. Uh, so yeah, and and I read it and I said, okay, now I I understand things a, a little bit more. Uh, not entirely, but we're, we're getting there. So yeah, highly would recommend that if you're a Takeshi Kitano fan. Jack definitely would recommend this one to you. Uh, Cinema Takeshi Kitano, Flowering Blood. It's also, it's like 100 pages long. You can read it in a fucking afternoon. It's easy. So pick that up. If you listen to this podcast right now, you're probably saying to yourself, Steve, how can I, how can I help you? What can I, what can I do to help you, Steve? And the answer is click the link in the description of this podcast. Why would you do that? Because that'll take you to our Patreon. How great would that be? And uh, once you're there, you can give us money. And, and money helps because shit costs money. And we got to pay for shit. So if you send us any amount at all, you can, you can be a patron at any level. And I will send you, if you live in the continent of the United States, I will send you a movie from my personal collection. Could be anything. Uh, I got another one to ship out the door. Uh, I was going to do it tomorrow, but wouldn't you know, it's a fucking holiday. So sorry, uh, the mail will wait for Tuesday. But I got another one to ship out. And, uh, yeah, at, at higher levels, you get more treats. So not only at, at any level do you also get access to our special Patreon feed, which has uh, special episodes uh, and tons of old written and audio stuff from us over the years. It's exclusive to Patreon. But at, at those higher tiers, you get a few extra perks. So if you're at the, that $5 tier, uh, you also get to vote on uh, potential future episodes. And uh, you get your name right out on the air. What a fun little treat that is. So, uh, Myros, who's on the little treat list this week? Uh, we have Sam, CWW, Evan, Ryan, Dustin, and Paula. Wonderful. Wonderful. And then, of course, if you're saying, you know, voting's fine, but I kind of wish I was a dictator. Uh, you know, you got a little, a little Mussolini in you. What do you do? Well, it's easy. Just give us $25. And, and if you give us $25, you, you can choose whatever the fuck you want for an episode. And we actually just had a, uh, a $25 donation. And we are going to be doing a special episode soon, as chosen by uh, one of our wonderful fans. And it's, it's actually, it's so funny because, I mean, sometimes like we'll, we'll do like an episode like this one where it's like, oh, this is, this is great and it's interesting. And then a lot of times we we sort of self-sabotage a little bit. And by we, I mean, frequently I approach podcast episodes by asking myself, what will upset Adam Myros the most? And that's not always the best thing to choose. But anytime someone chooses for us, they're, they're so nice and thoughtful and they have really good ideas. So I'm actually excited about the episode we're, we're going to do coming up. So that'll be great. Very exciting. Also, if you have any questions, comments, death threats, marriage proposals, optimismvaccine at gmail.com, or you can tweet at us at optimismvaccine. And uh, I think that's going to do it for, for this week. So, um, yeah, maybe, maybe we'll come back and do some more conventional Takeshi Kitano stuff. Who knows? We, we don't know. You don't know either, but something's going to happen. You bought a whole book. I bought a whole-ass book. We're doing more of his movies, okay? This is not a one-off, all right? Fuck. Kidding me? Uh, I'm going to skip <laughs> the book, personally. <laughs> I'll let you tell me what it says. 
Yeah. Okay. Just yeah. Just air out your dyslexia on the air. All right. Bye. <laughs>